This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, live from the team store here at Salt Lake City Summer League uh, here at Vivint Arena. In fact, uh, Gordon, before we jump into what's going on, well, first of all, our Olympic update brought to you by our friends at Syringa Networks, working from home or with a hybrid workforce. Get a powerful IT partner at Syringa Networks. Call 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. Uh, 12th color right now. We'll give away a four-pack of tickets to the Salt Lake Summer League for whatever night you can come, either tonight, tomorrow, or Friday. Hey, come on out and see us. I mean, there's even a lot of people coming through here. You know what? Ready it, for, for some basketball. Uh, we're not out in the in the bowl, so it's tough to tell exactly how many people are here, but it feels like a lot of people are coming through the door. Yeah. Yeah, so hopefully attendance is pretty good. And uh, you could be going too. 12th caller right now, and you get to pick which night is good for you. Bring the family. Four pack. Let's do it. All right, Gordon, you ready for a little uh, what's going on? Yes, I am. Where we check in with the other shows on the Zone Sports Network. Let's start off with DJ and PK, who had Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune on. He talked about uh, Charlie Brewer and uh, what's going to happen with the Utes offense this year. Cam Rising being at 95%, feeling he can get to 100% through the course of training camp. So, as far as it stands right now, how are you handicapping this particular race between these two guys with Brewer and Rising at quarterback? I don't really want to assume anything. I mean, I I, I myself was guilty of assuming things last year, yeah, right? When it was Jake right, Bentley right. with the SEC pedigree and the resume. So. Yep. I don't want to assume anything. What I will say is, and I've written this before, I think it's going to be very hard for Rising to win the job, only because he's coming off major surgery to his throwing shoulder. You know, Kyle saying 95%. He told me at Pac-12 Media Day that Rising was fully cleared, no limitations, but his arm strength is not fully back. So, you know, read between the lines, try to glean something from what Kyle said there. I think it's going to be hard for Rising to win the job. That is what I'm thinking going into camp. More intrigued by the battle at quarterback or more intrigued by the battle at running back, given how much you know Kyle likes to run the ball? Probably quarterback, just because, um, look, not to say that Kyle and Utah have not had very good quarterbacks in the past, because they have, but I don't think that Kyle has ever had somebody like Brewer at his disposal. You know, um, an older guy – you know, 44 career games in the Big 12 at the Power 5 level, uh, 9,700 passing yards, 65 touchdowns, you know, played in a Big 12 title game, played in a Sugar Bowl. So, yeah, you know, it might be cliche, but, yeah, the quarterback competition to me is the most intriguing part of camp just because Kyle has never had a, a guy like Brewer uh, at, at his disposal, quite frankly. How much do you buy any validity to the argument? Yeah, he threw for a ton of yards, but it's the Big Twelve. They don't play any defense. I I, I put a lot of stock into that. Just you know, not only the yardage and the touchdowns in the Big Twelve. You know, the kid is coming from a serious quarterback pedigree, right? His his older brother, you know, was a Power Five quarterback. His father famously walked on at Texas, was the MVP of the Cotton Bowl back in 1982. Uh, his grandfather was the quarterback at Texas. So, yeah, I take a lot of stock into what Brewer has done at quarterback. And it, it, it's not strictly the stats. It's not strictly the yardage. 
uh, I think the pedigree that he's coming from, you know, also plays a role into this whole thing. So do you think because of that, they're really going to cut loose and throw the ball? Because I think there are plenty of Ute fans reading you, listening to us, who are thinking, Kyle's going to do Kyle here, and they're going to run the ball. It's a great question. It's a great question. I think that's, uh, I think that's a key kind of uh, big-picture, overarching storyline is that how does, how does Kyle operate here? How does Andy Ludwig operate? As you just alluded to, look, Kyle's DNA – forever is run the ball, play defense, control the clock. And that has served Kyle well over the years. Again, he has never had a guy like Brewer at his disposal. So, you know, does Kyle go outside his DNA? Uh, Andy Ludwig has said publicly for a long time that he will work his offense to, you know, he will, he will manage his offense based on the personnel that he has. Okay, well, you know, if Brewer wins the job, his personnel is including a, a guy that can swing the ball all over the place. I think that's a great question. Uh, I think that's going to be an important thing to look at because if they allow Brewer to, you know, kind of swing all over the place, hey, Utah becomes a, a little more dangerous. But again, Kyle needs to kind of go outside himself and allow himself to, to let Brewer do that. All right, there you go. Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune talking about the uh, Utes offense and Charlie Brewer. A year ago, Jake, I said that I thought there was a real quarterback competition going on. You thought it was Jake Bentley's job. This time around, I think it is Charlie Brewer's job. Strange. Well, it's a different quarterback. It's a very accomplished quarterback. And just seems like that's the way it's tilting. What do I know? They haven't even opened camp yet. What does that happen tomorrow? So, I would I would guess he came here to play, just like Jake Bentley did. Yeah, but Jake Bentley wasn't good enough to beat out Cam Rising last year. Well, I mean, he didn't turn out to be the quarterback a lot of folks were hoping. I have no clue how he started a game at South Carolina, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, he wasn't that bad. But, I, I mean, it goes to something I also heard DJ and PK talking about uh, this morning, that just because someone transfers from a particular program doesn't mean that they're any good. And we'll see. With, yeah, but a guy who put up the kind of numbers he has. Right. No, I got you. But I, I think part of that, PK hit on it, is that the Big 12 where they don't play any defense. So how that's gonna, how's that going to go in the Pac-12? And, uh, yeah, he's got more credentials than Jake Bentley did, and we'll see. But I – you know, I, I find it interesting that you're so sold that there's no quarterback competition this year. But last year, me even suggesting the fact that he was Bentley was merely promised the job was so offensive to you. And now you're just, oh, he's, he's already got it. You're assigning values to what I said. No, I'm not. I'm just trying to operate in I, reality. I, I just said it was a true quarterback competition. And, I, and this it year was, it's it was, not. And it wasn't a, well, I, I, it may be a bit of a competition, but it seems like it's Brewer's oh, job. Okay, to okay. So last year was Re- reality is basically just whatever proje- <laughs> per, like perspective that you select that day. Uh, I think I agree with Josh from a standpoint that uh, well, it isn't exactly revolutionary here, but uh, you know the Utes haven't really had a prosperous situation at quarterback. Uh, no, the best they've had in the Pac-12 era was Tyler Huntley senior and year. He was he was pretty good. He, he was, was okay. Good. Uh, his accuracy really came around. 
Um, familiarity with the offense, I think, was uh, was helpful for him. Uh, Britton Covey talked to us about that at uh, Pac-12 Media Day. They, he was talking about Charlie Brewer, mm-hmm. but compared him to Tyler Hundley, that Tyler knew where he was going to throw um, before the ball was snapped based on pre-snap reads. He's, he compared, said Charlie Brewer is also really good at that sort of thing, which is... What, what do you mean really like? good? You mean you mean versatile enough to change it up if he needs to? Or no. What? Like, Just reading the Like he knows where knowing. he's going to throw the ball when the ball is Well, is that a good thing? According to Britton Covey, it is. I don't know that that is a good thing. You want a quarterback who can go to option two and three, don't you? Or do you know, uh, or do you want a quarterback who knows option one is going to be open? Because <laughs> that's you, the point of the pre-snap how, read. I, but how do you know that? Math. Then why does any quarterback check down? Uh, it depends on what the offense you're running. But that's that's the – I mean, this is a totally different conversation, but that's uh, kind of the NFL's complaint about college, right? As college has gone to yeah. this way overly simplified right. way of running offense, which doesn't necessarily work at the pro level because the players are a lot better and more athletic and cover more ground. But in college, you know, if you can create a math problem for the other team – where they only have so many players on the field and can only yeah. cover so many spots, then all of a sudden that stuff you're talking about is unnecessary. Tyler Huntley probably never made it to the third read in his whole <laughs> career. I'm not, and I'm not taking a shot at the guy. That's yeah. how it's designed. Uh-huh. That's how it's designed to happen. That's where all the cards on the sidelines come in and the coaches, you see the whole team look over at the coach when they come set. That's what that's all about. So they can see where the defense is and tell the quarterback where to throw it. And, and it, yet, it takes all that. Now you don't need a brainiac to play quarterback. Well, but, okay, so the other day I was reading a story about Zach Wilson with the Jets, and uh, the coach there was saying that, uh, that he, he I, I'm paraphrasing here, but he essentially said that Zach could go to option one, two, or three, and he had the presence of mind to do so, and he said – there are a whole lot of quarterbacks out there who can't do that. Well, I I certainly agree with that latter part. Oh, we'll see what happens with Zach Wilson. I don't, I don't know. I take I take scuttlebutt coming from camp with an extreme grain of salt. You know, people <laughs> whose uh, you know personal self interest is going to be dictated by the success or failure of this athlete. Are you telling me that they're not going to come out publicly and go, "Holy cow, this guy is behind"? That's, that's not what he, we're that, screwed. That's not what he said. He he said that there were going to be ups and downs. Okay, but but I think that's an advantage to. I, you shouldn't be able to – you shouldn't know who you're going to throw to before the snap of the ball. Why? You, you should have an indication of what would be uh, – what looks good. But if that – if the defense – in the Pac-12, you have enough sophisticated defensive coordinators, I think, to disguise their defenses. And you want a quarterback who can adjust to that if he needs to. Well, that's not really how it works in college football. And it's – What? It hasn't been that way for a while. Oh, come on. That's not true. It is true. It's totally you true. You think every college quarterback locks on to option one I and think, that's it? I think the pre-snap read in college is a really big deal well, with these quarterbacks. I think it's a big deal, but it's not exclusionary. It, it's a, it is. I, that, that's, that's, a bad, the, that's a bad way to play. It works really well. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. Don't you remember, the, remember John Gruden did those quarterback camps before the draft? And he asked Cam Newton, said, "All right, Cam Newton, give me, give me, what's your favorite play? What do you like? What do you like to throw?" 
And Cam Newton goes, and I can't remember exactly what he said, but he goes, you know, I like the number seven. <laughs> the number seven is a really good play for me. And, and I'm, I'm kind of making fun of Cam Newton a little bit, but the point is, is that's how it's coached. You see it in every college game, Gordon, when they line up, the whole team looks at the, at the Duran sideline, the coach tells them where to throw it, and then they snap the ball. That's how, that's how it works. You don't think that last year Trevor Lawrence went off his number one option. You don't think Zach Wilson, the best quarterbacks in the country, didn't come I'm not, off the I'm number not, one option? I'm not talking about everybody. And we've actually talked to uh, Coach Roderick about how he evolved the offense around Zach Wilson as his skills developed. We've had that conversation with him. I'm sure something similar happened at Clemson. But I'm telling you, the norm is hand-holding in maybe, college sports. Maybe that's it's, the difference between being a number one and number two pick versus being a six-round Probably. Pick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably. But, I mean, a lot of it is you spread everybody out, you make the defense have to weight their numbers on one side or the other, and then you throw the route that takes advantage of that. It's, it's Mike Leach's entire offense. There's a reason that Mike Leach only has a little sheet of paper for a play sheet because he doesn't call plays. He's, he sends his team out there and he says, if this guy on the defense is lined up here, the play is this. If he's lined up here, the play is that. That's his whole concept. Well, I believe in reading defenses, but I believe in, in being able to come off your number one option if he's covered. And college coaches are doing their best to eliminate that. That's, Make that totally that's not dumb. They're making it not necessary. Why is it dumb? It means that you can have a you can have a different type of player at quarterback. If you overly simplify it, you take a lot of that stuff out of the game altogether. Well, these guys must be playing against defenses like you said about the Big 12 that are extremely simplified. Well, that certainly is true in the Big 12, but it's the reason the other extreme, it's the reason that you can run an option in college, but you can't do that in the NFL. It's because players in the NFL are too fast and too good and can, can, can make up too much ground, right? But in college, that's not the case. All right. And so you can, you can create a math problem before the, before the snap, <laughs> And quarterbacks are, are know exactly where to go. I, we should play you the Britton Covey clip. He talks yeah, all about I, it. I'd like I mean, I'm it. surprised that you're so surprised by this because well, the NFL has been complaining about it for years. But may, okay, I understand that, and that's what uh, that's what the coach was saying. He was saying that there are a whole lot of guys out there who can't go through their reads, you know, because they don't do it in college anymore. Yeah, well, that's too bad. I, I think that's a mistake. If you, well, it, it's a mistake. If you have a gifted quarterback who's mentally strong. It's the only time it's a mistake is if you have Andrew Luck. Oh, the world famous Jason Shepard, everybody. What's up, Jace? Uh, it, that's the only time or a, or a Trevor Lawrence or a Zach Wilson. Great examples. You know, the top two picks in the draft. <laughs> it's only a mistake if that it's it's not a mistake when you take out all the interceptions and all the stuff you hate because making those reads and those things are hard. And it takes somebody who can see the game at a different level. Wait, when you I, overly I simple, football, I thought high school football was to the point now where it was so sophisticated at an early age, and guys learned to do all these things that it used to take them years. Oh, to that learn. is the completely opposite. It's 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 way overly simple. It's not it's not how it used to be. Maybe it's how it used to be on uh, making throws and things like that, but it's. 
high school offenses are even way more simple. It's what the spread has done to football. Blame the spread. I mean, Urban Meyer taught us about the math problem as far as the zone read way back in 2003 or whatever it was. If the defensive end does this, you do that. If the defensive end does that, you do this. That's the whole concept but, of the offense. But I don't like that. Well, raise your complaints 15 years ago. I want my quarterback to be able to do different things. Your beloved Keaton Slovis, the whole reason that they want the air raid is because they don't want him making decisions in play. They want him to know exactly where he's going Jay, with the ball on, before being, it snapped. That's being true. You're being too absolute it's about true. this. true. No, I'm not. And it's the smart thing to do because Andrew Luck comes around once every 10 years. You can't always have the number one or number two pick on your team. So you, you, you put in an offense that, that uh, any simpleton could run. So you think these offenses, really, they, the, the quarterback on passing plays goes to who he thinks he's going to go to 95% of the it's time. It's not a think thing. That's what you're missing here. It's not a who he thinks he's going to go to. It's going there. That's the play. If, if that's that, the play, and they that, see the defense, and they no. know they know they do the math. It's Jake, just it's too simplified. What you're saying? That's the point. <laughs> that's the whole point. Well, then count me as one who likes a little more sophisticated offense. Well, that's not what you find in college football anymore. I'm sorry to burst your bubble on this, but it's totally true. <laughs> sorry, I've got to regroup. They're making the quarterback position accessible for the less intelligent. For the pedestrian? Well, but what they're doing, Gordon, is cutting out mistakes. I mean, the Kyle Whittinghams of the world hate turnovers so much, they're just going to oversimplify the offense because they don't make mistakes. Because if you throw to single coverage because you know it's going to be single coverage, then your odds of turning it over are significantly lower. Okay, so uh, we've got to get A-Rod on the show. Because I need to ask him this question. I want to find out if what you're saying is absolute. I don't know, Gordon. I, I, I think all you need to do is flip through a couple of games on a Saturday. <laughs> that I've done. And, and when you but see I the, have seen quarterbacks go to different options. And you see all the dopey signs and you see the whole team look over. What do you think they're doing? <laughs> the coach essentially is saying, throw it there. <laughs> you might as well circle the guy. Did I, ever tell, did I ever tell you that? Uh, I, I loved this. But the, that my little league coach, his name was Mark Sane. He was a great coach. Uh, but he was he was really, and with little league kids, you can get this right. He was really, uh, 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 he wanted you to focus. Like missing a sign was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like it was one of those fundamentals that, you know, you always get your sign. And, and if you miss a sign, you're in real trouble. I was on first base, and I missed the steal sign twice. And you know what he did? He goes, hey, you're stealing. And I had to steal. And I went, I kind of yelled back. I was like, are you serious right now? He's like, yeah, you've missed a sign twice. You're stealing. I hope they throw you out. That's pretty funny. Uh, but, yeah, coaches, uh, they, yeah, that's what, that's what, that's the direction college has been going for a long time. What's your favorite play? I like the number seven. Give me the number eight. Give me the uh, the Daffy Duck sign. I like that play a lot. Okay, so I just googled do I just googled do college quarterbacks make only one read? The first story that comes up is no, Justin Fields is not a one read quarterback. 
one quarterback, and that's Justin Fields. And by the way, I'm not buying that either. Let's see here. Let's see. This is. Uh... I can't believe I'm breaking this news to you today. <laughs> Just, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, all right. Well, you may be right, but not not 100 percent of the time. I'm sorry. When when Trevor Lawrence is an upperclassman, they let him make a couple more decisions. This is the practice of waiting for a college quarterback to develop is quickly going extinct. An antiquated custom akin to the wishbone offense and recruits who aren't on Snapchat. Top quarterbacks show up in the fall of their freshman season or even the spring before already equipped with enough know-how to saunter into the starting huddle. The position that supposedly takes longest to master has been under overrun by collegiate neophytes. Is that because they're all running simple offenses? Yes, because they're overly simplifying everything. And part of it has to do with uh, you know transfer rules and having to coddle players the second they get on campus and all of that. Nobody's willing to learn. Nobody's willing to go through the process to be the quarterback that you think everybody is. They've just got to throw them into a simplified system because they're going to transfer tomorrow if you don't tell them how great they are. (laughs) All right, coming up next, stay tuned. Uh, We're going to talk to Nigel Burton. He uh, is an analyst for the Pac-12 Network. We'll get his thoughts on uh, what to expect from the league as a whole and, of course, uh, the University of Utah live. Uh, outside the team store here at Vivint Arena. Summer League going on. More next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is The Big Show with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson, presented by Big O Tires, with the lowest price on every tire every day. With no credit needed, financing options available. Big O Tires, the team you trust. It was against the law. It's a big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 12 in the zone. I want to remind you about the top 1660. It's back on the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 130. Hanson Scotty will announce another member of the top 60 players in the state of Utah as the countdown to the start of the college football season. It's the top 1660 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon only here on the Zone Sports Network. Let's get out to the Smart Rain special guest line. It's no mystery. Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation smartly. Find out more at smartrain.net. He's an analyst for the Pac-12 Network. He is Nigel Burton with us here on the big show. Nigel, thanks for a few minutes. How are you? I'm good, fellas. How are you? Hey, we're doing great. We're, we're jacked for football around here. Uh, Utah gets camp going tomorrow. Of course, Pac-12 Media Day was uh, was last week, and just feels like uh, it feels good to have some energy around football again, right? Man, great to have energy, great to have guys in person, great to be able to uh, talk about masks. Uh, hopefully people uh, uh, behave responsibly because I, 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 do, I do feel a little bit of uh, Groundhog Day because I felt like we, we felt pretty good around this time last year and then things went sideways in a hurry. So hopefully we're, we're able to... Uh, and do what we need to do to make sure that uh, we can get a full college football season. Nigel, let me ask you to, to pipe in on a discussion that Jake and I were having before you came on. And Jake was pointing out to me that in college, so many quarterbacks are running offenses where they are asked essentially to make one read at the line of scrimmage 
and not have to go to any secondary reads, options two or three on down the line. Do you agree with that, or do you think that there are programs where quarterbacks are depended on to be a little more sophisticated? Uh, I would say that you might be a one-read guy if you're a freshman, but if you find yourself on the field in Pac-12 game and you're just doing a a one-read deal, uh, you're probably not throwing for many yards. (laughs) So uh, I think there's just too many good players. Uh, The defenses are too sophisticated. Um, I've never seen a system at that level where there's not a – you know, one, two, three, check down. Um, and guys do it in different ways, right? They, they, you know, some teach, you know, hey, you, you kind of go for a triangle. Other guys like, okay, based on this guy, and then, you know, here's your next read. Here's where you go next. Uh, things like that. But yeah, you know, matter of fact, when I was when I was coaching the Pac-12, we would tease like the freshman, that, hey, you know, don't worry, he's a one-read guy because <laughs> because uh, by the time they made it to the level where they were actually playing. Um, there, there's not, there weren't a whole lot of one-read guys left. Nigel, want to ask you about kind of the uh, the forecast of this year in the in the Pac-12, USC in the South, uh, Oregon in the North. That was the media's preseason pick. Not not a real courageous vote there, uh, as <laughs> right. they kind of went with the with right. the brand names. But what do you what do you think is the likelihood it comes out like that? Uh, you know, look, Oregon and and SC have a ton of talent. Um, but I would say, I mean, there's just there's so much parity in the league. You know, people have Washington second. Uh, I'm not sure that Cal's not second. I'm not sure Cal's not better than both of them uh, in the North. Uh, and then Stanford is a, a program that, uh, you know, it's funny. They're finally being overlooked after, you know, the last 10 years of being, uh, you know, last 10, 15 years of being a big dog in the, in the, uh, in the Pac-12 North um, and some things. And so, um you know, and then again, you know, you look in the South. You got Arizona State, who's got a ton of t- a ton of talent coming back. Guys who could have played in the NFL decided to come home, come back. You know, Utah uh, had a chance to talk to Devin Lloyd, Coach Whittingham, out there uh, at Paxwell Media Day, and uh, Coach Whittingham calls Devin you know, the best linebacker he's had in ten years there. And so, you know, he's another guy who had a chance to move on, decided to come back. And so, I, I just think there's a ton of talent. I think UCLA is a team that people are sleeping on. I think uh, I think it's I would venture to say it would be unlikely that both those teams end up being uh, in the Pac-12 title game. Um, you know, I think for the most part, people just look at you know, oh, well, who was in the championship game last year? Uh, okay, yeah, let's vote for them again. <laughs> so as opposed to doing actual study, you know, any sort of film study or any sort of you know, hey, here's who these guys have coming back. And that all being said and done, it's college football, man. All it takes is. Uh, the key quarterback, the key running back to get hurt, and uh, and then uh, the entire season goes sideways. So uh, I know you're not uh, <clears throat> a prophet, and you're not a uh, you can't look into your crystal ball and come up with the exact answer. But in that South, Nigel, if, if you had to pick between USC, Utah, and Arizona State, what what indicators are there about which team being the favorite in your mind? Well, I guess one. Where do Arizona State and Utah play this year? <laughs> I mean, in Salt Lake. They, Salt Lake. Play, yeah, in Salt Lake. If they, if they play in Salt Lake, I'm going to take the Utes. Uh, if they play in <laughs> if, if they played in Arizona, I'd probably say I'd probably say Arizona State. Um, you know, I uh, got a chance to talk to Jaden Daniels, uh, the quarterback at Arizona State, and 
And it was funny, um, you know, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson got a chance to ask a question, the quarterback at UCLA, uh, to him and Keaton Slovis, who's a quarterback at SC. And the question was, what's the hardest place and the hardest team you've ever, you know, the hardest game you've ever had? And Jaden immediately said Utah. At Utah was just something that he just did not, <laughs> and, and he was not ready for. And so, um, you know, I think that uh, being at that game in Salt Lake, uh, I, I think that uh, that that gives an edge to the Utes. Um, but I, I mean, I, I'm a big believer in, in in ASU. I got a chance to call their spring game, and they are loaded. And I mean, they look coming off the bus. They look like um, uh, the SC teams of the past. I mean, they look like an NFL football team. They are enormous. They're athletic, and they're experienced. And uh, and then again, you know, SC is SC, but. You know, I, I'm, I would lean towards either Arizona State or, or Utah, and I think Utah has a slight edge being that the, uh, the game is in Salt Lake. You know, let me just add one other thing about that, Nigel. The, the Jet, the, I'm sorry, the Utes are traveling to the Coliseum to play USC, a place they haven't won. They haven't won in Los Angeles since I think I looked it up. It was 1916 since the last time the Utes <laughs> beat the Trojans down there. So that's, yeah. that's a big challenge that they have to overcome. Yeah, I mean, those kids weren't alive then, so, you know, it doesn't really matter. You know, I, I hear that kind of stuff, and it, it makes me giggle because it's like, yeah, but, you know, that ain't got nothing to do with these guys. You know, those guys weren't even bored. They weren't even a thought. Their parents weren't even a thought back then. And so, you know, what it comes down to is, you know, what um, the guys who are actually on the field, are they able to execute the game plan that's been put in front of them? And so, um, you know, if they're able to do that, now, part of the lore of SC, I think, for Utah, is the same thing that affects every single team in the Pac-12 when they travel to L.A. There's, you know, the L- Los Angeles is such a huge recruiting uh, area for every single team that a lot of times, especially inexperienced teams, uh, when they travel to L.A., you know, they'll go down there and uh, they'll have friends and their parents and their grandparents and their girlfriends and you know, everybody's hitting them up for tickets, and there's just all these distractions, you know. And then they get down there, and then they're playing against a really good team as well. And that's how I think a lot of them end up struggling. The teams that do well, you know, I was part of a team that went down there when I was a sophomore, and we, we beat the snot out of the Trojans. And I don't even remember thinking it was a big deal, you know. Um, but I think our coaches really were, were honest about staying focused and not, not having the, the outside noise affect us. And... Uh, and so that's, I think that's the key for those teams when they go down there. And I think why that's probably been a spur in the side of Utah and, and so many other teams. If they're able to focus and not worry about, you know, who needs what tickets and, you know, can somebody come by and see me at the hotel and all that other stuff, I think they'll do well. Last thing for me, Nigel, uh, we've talked a lot about this here on the station over the last week, but uh, curious to get your thoughts on it. Outside of Arizona, and Arizona's got a new coach, and and they're going through some kind of major stuff as a program, but outside of Arizona, in my opinion, you can make a real argument for every team in the Pac-12 taking a step forward and doing some damage this year. I mean, earlier in the interview, you you mentioned Cal. I I think Cal has the potential to be really good. Stanford uh, has, has potential. You know, you look down the list. I think every program has the potential to at least step, take a step forward, if not really make some waves. Yeah, I mean, to me, you know, I think ultimately in my book, I think, you know, Arizona State, Utah, Washington, Oregon are probably the top dogs. If I had to pick one dark horse, 
I, I, I don't know if they are a dark horse or not, but in my mind, I would not be surprised if Cal ended up winning this conference this year. Um, they are stacked. They've got a great coach. They play defense like someone owes them money. And, and, and Chase Garber's the quarterback. When he's healthy, they're a different football team. You know, they've struggled when he's gotten hurt. And when he's healthy, they've gone to Seattle and beaten you more than once. Um, you know, they, 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 they are able to, to get after people, and, and he's able to distribute the football and do good things. And so, um, you know, I think that's – I think he is the key to their success if he stays healthy and continues to, to, to be who they – you know, who he is. I would not be surprised to see Cal uh, in the Pac-12 championship game. So is it healthier for the conference overall to have a bunch of good teams uh, that might devour one another, or is it healthier for one or two teams to be absolutely dominant so they can be projected forward into something else? You know, I, I think it's health, healthier for the team for the conference to be uh, to be balanced and to make each other get better, so that when you know you get to these important games um, across the board, right? Because we get judged. We get judged on what happens when uh, Utah plays BYU, what happens when Washington goes to Michigan, what happens when Oregon uh, plays against uh, Ohio State. And we get judged across the board. You know, LSU goes to UCLA. Uh, it's not the same in the SEC. You know, Arkansas, yeah, Cal was beating the snot out of Ole Miss. People just kept calling, you know, talking about Alabama. And so I, I think it's important for us uh, to get back on the national stage that we were used to all those years. Uh, to have strong teams across the board, um, which means, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of parity. There's going to be a little bit of beating each other up. But I also think there's some teams with some elite talent in this conference that as long as they bring it every week, um, they've, they've got an edge. You know, um, It's just about being consistent and getting 18 to 22-year-olds uh, to focus, which is easier said than done. Well, Nigel, thank you very much for jumping on with us. We really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to catching up with you, hopefully a lot, coming up this season. Sounds good, fellas. Have a great day. You too, Nigel. Thank you very much. That's Nigel Burton, uh, analyst for the Pac-12 Network. Good, Really good stuff right there from Nigel. High on the Utes. Yeah. High yeah. on Arizona State. Don't they have, like, 21 of 22 Yeah, they got, like, everybody stars coming back. Stars coming back. I yeah. mean, that's, uh, that's, that's going to be tough. But it's a good thing the Utes, for the Utes, that they have them. All right, we'll, we'll have more coming up next right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is The Big Show with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson, presented by Big O Tires, with the lowest price on every tire every day, with no credit needed financing options available. Big O Tires, the team you trust. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, live right outside the team store at the Salt Lake City Summer League. Game action going on now. We do have some NBA news regarding uh, now former Jazz player uh, Gordon. George Niang is signing a two-year deal with the Philadelphia 76ers at uh, the total deal is worth $3.3 million. Good for George. Yeah, good for George. Yeah. Didn't think he would be back on this jazz roster next year not that i i don't think he produced for the jazz i think he played his role well but um maybe thinking that they can use that roster spot and if they're going to spend that money maybe on a, a veteran or somebody who's who plays a little bit different role maybe yeah george uh, seemed like a really good guy and we uh send our best wishes for his 
future. Well, great story, right? I mean, a guy who played his way onto a roster and yeah. carved out a role for himself on one of the best teams in the league. Yep. I mean, absolutely a success story. Uh, like you said, easy dude to root for, and we'll see if he can carve out a role for himself in Philadelphia. I'm sure they wouldn't be signing him if they didn't think he could. Exactly. And he's earned it. Yep. So, yeah. I like it when good things happen to I mean, George, we had him on the show a number of times. We did. And he, everybody I talked to about him uh, said he was a, a good guy. So, I, I mean, you never know what to completely believe, but he never gave us any indication of anything other. I, You know what I liked about him? Or liked, like he's deceased. You know what I like about him? Um, <laughs> talking he, in the past tense. He, he was the one who, came, who, who really articulated it. Uh, star... You've got to be a star in your role. And he told us, uh, Gordon, that if he wasn't making threes, he wasn't going to play. That was his role on the team. But he he wasn't was exactly a defensive star. No, he was not. But he was, he was a guy who understood what he could contribute to the team, and he was going to do that to the best of his ability. And he, wa- he wasn't going to try to go out and Russell Westbrook it and take over the game. <laughs> he knew what he, he was there to do. And, and, and that's really true. And if you remember early in the season, remember he got off to the really slow yeah. start. Uh-huh. And they and couldn't yet, play him. And, and then he came on strong. So he, he, he believed in himself. I, that's one thing I heard in the, in the Olympic coverage. Uh, it was one of the uh, hurdlers or something. She, uh, after her heat, she said, uh, thanks, Mom. She said, into the camera, thanks, Mom and Dad. You, you taught me to believe in myself. And I did. You gotta believe in yourself. You know, let that be the thought of the day. But but what about those folks who believe in them in themselves but are not capable of doing? Like I can bl- believe myself in myself till the cows come home, but I'm not going to be uh, winning gold medal on the balance beam. You know well, what I mean? Well, then, then, then believe in yourself in some other pursuit. You gotta know. So now own. you have to no. pick and choose. That's not a believing in yourself at all. That's no, just you, picking you, something yeah. that you already know is is going to come true. That doesn't take any belief. That like, I believe in myself. I can stand up out of this chair. But everybody can find something they're good at, and then believe in it and pursue it. Do like a Kentucky Fried Chicken. Do one thing and do it right. They don't use that slogan anymore, do they? Oh well. Are you a great columnist because you believed in yourself, or are you a great columnist because you possess a certain amount of skills and talent that uh, make you a great columnist? You think people I just think fall you, out of bed and they I think can do you, something? I think by saying, well, all you have to do is believe in yourself, you're actually selling yourself short. No, you've got to believe in yourself and work hard to attain your goal. Yeah, I could have believed in myself and worked as hard as I want. I was never playing NFL football, man. But you believed in yourself as a, as a talk show host, and look at you now. But I'd like to think that other skills got me here aside from just flat out believing in myself. What got you here is me sticking up for you. Well, that's true. <laughs> no, Jake worked hard at it and he got really good at it. But see there, there, that has nothing to do with believing in myself. No, wait, that no, has because to do- if you didn't believe in yourself, you never would have put in the effort to get where you are. I think plenty of people with tons of self-doubt are successful. <laughs> it's what keeps them driving so, so, forward. So essentially you're saying, ah, don't believe in yourself. No, don't. Certainly don't lie to yourself and say all I have to do is believe in myself and all these great things are going to happen. It's not the only thing to do. It's just the foundation upon which you you build. Sheesh. Sounds great on one of those motivational flip calendars, but I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if reality is quite there. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Eric, do you believe in yourself? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I believe in myself, but I believe that, you know, that I, I think that what you're getting at is right. Believing in yourself helps build the foundation to working hard, but working hard is the number one thing. Because there are plenty of people who believe in themselves, but then don't do anything with it. Listen to the young fella, Jake. Doubt yourself. <laughs> Constantly. And give See, up. It's the only way that you're going to improve. If you believe in yourself, all of a sudden you've got this I've arrived attitude and it's just not going to work for you. Constantly doubt yourself. Pay it's, the no only, it's the only way you get better. Pay no attention it's the to only the way. the curtain. If you believe, like, I've arrived, like, I don't need to get any better. No, it's the opposite. Mom and Dad, you told me to believe. Hold on, that is not what she is saying. She, Believing in yourself does not mean that you think that you're the cat's pajamas and and that you, there's no room for improvement. Yeah. You're the only person alive who I, I can think of who would argue this point. Doesn't make me wrong. Eric, it makes you wrong. Well, both of us. And what, the world's uh, yes, wrong. Eric's wrong about most and things. The, and the, uh, the uh, Olympic well, athlete is true. wrong. Yeah, the Olympic athlete's totally wrong. And by the way, it's easy to, for an Olympic athlete to go, well, I believe in myself. You do? <laughs> it's like Michael Jordan. Like, I believe in myself. Well, congratulations. Well, some of those Olympic athletes suck. Do they? Yeah, kind of. Uh, I still remember watching the uh, the losers at the 2002 Olympics, up there at the uh, up there at the track, and, so, and you had you had people flying off the track left and right. They couldn't do it, but they were trying. And those poor fools' big problem was they didn't believe in themselves enough. Maybe if they believed in themselves a little harder, they would have made it to the bottom of the track. Is that what you're getting at? Well, no, they would have believed in themselves, and then they would have trained harder, and then they would have gotten better. I, I really which is don't what think, Eric was saying. I, I really don't think that's what go- – I don't think Gordon's saying that's it. I think Gordon is saying he, – he has literally said it. He has said that's the foundation that you build off of. Oh, that's just Gordon d- tap dancing because he's wrong. <laughs> All right, stay tuned. More Big Show coming up next, 97.5 uh, and 1280 The Zone.